0: welcome to being better podcast where we explore the things that make us happier wiser and more productive beings hi my name is julia and i am your host every week i take a concept a technique or a story to learn how it will make us better i hope that this show can help you become the person you've always wanted to be so here we go to or welcome back to the being better podcast it is awesome to have you here and i hope you're having a great day so far i just had a lovely birthday weekend with my friends and my family celebrating and just chilling and eating maybe not as healthy as i always do and you know the next day I spent the whole day in bed, so I just thought I could pop out here and remind you that it is important to keep a balance in life between the healthy and the, quote, unhealthy and the productive and non-productive... Um, I know that these labels aren't really useful, so I try to avoid them as much as I can. Um, But I am sure that you have periods in your life where you do a lot of things and you probably also do have periods when you don't want to get out of bed. And as much as I think doing and trying to get better is always a better choice, I think it's sometimes good to cherish these moments because you live only once and there's no point in spending your life chasing after something and not enjoying the life that you have. Okay, um, that has turned out to be a bit existential, so let's stop right here before I go any further and talk about the recommendation of this week. And that recommendation is a novel that I have just finished titled The Rosie Project. So it has been recommended to me a couple of times, and I've also heard about it, some good things um, on uh, the I Think Not Overthinking podcast, and it's supposed to be also one of uh, Bill Gates' favorite book. So yeah, I thought that, you know, I have been reading a lot of non-fiction and more serious books lately. And maybe, you know, it is time to read something lighter. So I really, really enjoyed uh, reading The Rosie Project. I finished it, I think, in like two or three days, even though, you know, it was my birthday and I had a lot of things to do. So in a big short... The Rosie Project is a story of a scientist who is trying to find a wife. So he titles that quest as his wife project. So I'm going to read you a part of the book description. Don Tillman, a professor of genetics, has never been on a second date. He is a man who can count all his friends on one hand, whose lifelong difficulty with social rituals has convinced him that he is simply not wired for romance. So when an acquaintance informs him that he would make a wonderful husband, his first reaction is shock. Yet he must concede to the statistical probability that there is someone for everyone, and he embarks upon the wife project. In the orderly, evidence-based manner with which he approaches all things, Don sets out to find the perfect partner. She will be punctual and logical. Most definitely not a barmaid, a smoker, a drinker, or a late-arriver. But, you know, as we all learn from these novels, that is not how you find love. So this novel, I think, is a good example of that notion that you don't find love and it finds you. And this has of course happened to the protagonist. Uh, But I'm not going to tell you anything more about this book because I don't want to spoil the plot. It is a very easy read and a very charmful story. I think it's very nice for those times when you are in a reading slump and you really need to get out of it and find a book that will help you with that. And I think the Rosie Project could be a book that will help you get the momentum going. So it is going to be my recommendation for this week, which you can find probably in all of your libraries or in your local bookstores. And I will also link the book on Amazon in the episode description. And now let's move on to uh, the main topic of this week's episode and i actually am afraid that i'm gonna be a bit existential um, but i think it's nothing that we cannot manage so i want to talk today about the incredible potential that lies within each day which i'm realizing right now might seem a bit vague for description so let me explain that further um, today i am going to talk about the carpadium about, you know, seizing the day, or in other words, using the time that we have here on this earth to the fullest. I think Carpe Diem is about taking advantage of the incredible opportunity we have all been given to walk, to breathe, see, hear, touch, laugh, as well as cry. I want to talk about spending our time on things that matter, which are different for different people and also what change throughout various stages of your life, but it is always important to find them. So I think these days there are so many things distracting us from what the reputed Greek poet called carpe diem. I think it's easy to forget about the incredible improbability of our existence. How unlikely our lives are and how privileged we are by having the opportunity to get to live on this earth. I mean, would you say that you are truly seizing this opportunity to the fullest? Yeah, I'm afraid my answer is the same. I would say that I am spending my time in a meaningful way on the smaller scale of things. So, you know, when it comes to my professional goals or personal goals, I think I want to improve at the things that are important in order to realize those goals. And I'm not saying that this is what makes my life meaningful, but I just would say that I am productive. Or in other words, I am spending most of my time in the way that serves my short and uh, long-term intentions. However, I think that on a bigger scale or on the existential scale of things, I don't think I can say that I'm seizing the opportunity that is my life, which is kind of scary to admit, to be honest. I mean, it it does feel bad because if you think about how unlikely your and my existence is, it feels wasteful not to take advantage of that existence to the fullest. So if you don't believe me saying that it is incredibly unlikely that you and I are here, well let me tell you a couple of things that might change your perspective on this. So I think that it is extremely improbable because, I mean, first of all, think of the fact that you are living here on this earth. I mean, this is a perfect place that is in the perfect distance from its yellow star, which, you know, without that yellow star, we wouldn't be able to survive. You know, this place is neither too cold or too hot. The supply of water and oxygen and carbon and nitrogen and all other resources allow for the intelligent forms of life to evolve here so they can become aware and create art and technology and make war and peace. This is all so rare in our vast universe and it is so unlikely and yet here we are. And then think about all of the dangers and the incredibly poor odds that the generations of your ancestors had to overcome in order to survive as a species long enough so you too can have a turn. I mean, think about asteroids and think about climate disasters, think about ice age, think about all of the predators and think about dinosaurs and lions and think about how incredible it is that we as a species survived for so long and lastly think about the complexity of your body so think about the subatomic particles that make the atom which then make up your cells which then make up your tissues which make up your organs which make these incredibly interconnected systems that rely on maintaining a balance between the compounds and in your body on that incredibly balanced scale that is our body even the tiniest tilt in one direction can be deadly or even cause extinction and I think we should get used to this thought because as much as we are removed from death in today's world we are all going to die And it might be tomorrow or it might be next month or in six years. I don't know. I think it is just important to acknowledge that we are constantly aging. And this unknown percentage of our lives have already been lived, never to be experienced again. And I don't know how about you, but this thought that my existence is both extremely unlikely and also very fragile creates an urge in me to really live to the fullest and to, you know, carpe diem the shit out of my life and truly seize every day. And like I said, seizing it might be different for different people and also different for different stages of their own lives. But I would like to share with you what I found is the way that I want to live my life to make sure I don't waste the opportunity that I miraculously got. And in thinking about all of this, I also want to share with you a rule that I developed. It's the only rule that I really want to live by and it's my own answer to Carpe Diem. And that rule is to stay curious I think that the key to seizing every day is curiosity. And I mean curiosity as in living my life as if it was a science experiment and never getting used to the wonders of existence. I think about it as trying to fight the hedonic adaptations effect And not getting used to the mental and physical sensations provided by my senses. I think that curiosity is always being in a state of awe. And always needing to learn more about whatever it is that I'm currently experiencing. And lastly, I think it's being an explorer of both the physical and the non-physical world. So it is all nice and well, but how to do it. What do you mean? How do you live curiously? And I set a couple of guidelines for living this way, which I think might be helpful in trying to live a life of curiosity. So I'm going to share these pieces of advice in an imperative, but remember that these are what I want to implement to my own life. I mean, feel free to join me, uh, but I really want to make sure that What I'm saying on this podcast is not preachy, so I'm not saying that this is going to be a way to live for everyone, but if you feel like curiosity might be an answer to you too, feel free to also follow these guidelines. So the first one is stop following all the rules. Stop trying to please everyone and also to fit the definition of success that is currently in place. I think we obtain a huge mental baggage from our ancestors and our parents and our grandparents that contains the collection of fears and limiting beliefs that were accumulated through generations that, I mean, fair enough, they have lived in troubling times and it's not their fault. They got it from their parents and they got it from their parents and they thought it would be a good advice Um, to also put these fears onto us. But I believe that now in this developed world where we don't have to fight for resources anymore and we can have a 1000 calories pizza delivered right to our door, I think these days we can safely let go of these fears and fully embrace the wonders of this world. So I think these days you don't have to get the safest of jobs that makes the most money. And instead, you can focus on what you are currently interested in, even if that means taking a year off to work for a charity organization in developing countries or become an artist for a while or to travel. You don't have to fit the definition of normal uh, that the people closest to you have. And that applies to your sexuality, your interests, your relationships, your career or your hobbies. Yeah, just the first rule that I have, the first guideline, was to stop following all the rules. And another one is stop asking for permission. And stop waiting for someone to guide you in achieving your dreams. Because A, chances are that your current interests make others uncomfortable and you will never get the validation you've been waiting for for so long. So there is no point in waiting for that validation. And B, stop waiting because as cheesy as it might sound, the time will never be right. And you have to, as Nike said, just do it. So I think instead of asking for permission, always ask questions and pay closer attention to what's going on in the world right now. One of these crucial questions that we often forget to ask ourselves is, what do you really, what do you really want to do? I think we spend our lives following a path that someone else has set for us, which often starts by going to school or going to college, and then getting a steady job, and then getting married, and having kids, and I think it's sometimes easy to forget that you do have a choice in that. You have a say in what kind of life you want to live. So yeah, what do you really want to do right now? And another guideline that I have said is to let go of the pressure to always feel motivated or inspired and instead... Just be curious. Curious about what this day may bring and how it can shape you into a human that's a little kinder or a little wiser or a little happier. Because productivity in search of an irrelevant goal is your time wasted. So instead of being stuck in a pointless rat race, I think we should ask ourselves, what is that I want right now? What can I learn from this present moment? And how can I be of help to others and myself? Because asking questions about how the world works and how we fit into it, I think it somehow makes the world open up and makes it seem like everything is possible Because why not? I mean, there are no rules. And if there are rules, they have probably been defined by people living a long, long time ago. And their opinions, because they are just opinions, are no longer relevant in this fast and ever-changing world. So if you think that there are some rules regarding how you should live, think about who set those rules and... Maybe if that person has lived 100, 200 or a thousand years ago, maybe it is worth considering if this is a rule you should follow. And my last guideline for how to live a life of curiosity is don't take things for granted. I mean, just because something has always been there doesn't mean it hasn't got a crucial role in your life. And also that it will last forever. So it is worth thinking and asking questions about this thing, even though that person or that object has always been in your life. So I developed a technique that helps me not take things for granted, which is a bit embarrassing, but I want to share it with you. And that is that sometimes I like pretending that I am a researcher from another planet that wants to observe each of the areas of human life and tries to discover what it means to be human. And that researcher wants to find different variables, see the correlations between them and truly learn what makes us tick. And as much as I would love to say that I developed this technique, I don't think that I am the first nor the last person to... Think about living this way. Um, I think Gandhi once said that life has become for me a series of experiments with truth. In my pursuit of truth, I came across the method of nonviolence. So, this is all nice and good, but you might ask why? Why? should we live this way? Because it does seem like a lot of trouble to go through. And I do agree if you think about that. I agree because I know how much easier living as a people pleaser and as a conformist can be in comparison to always staying curious and finding your own way. But I think that this effort is worth it in the end. In the book titled The Happiness Problem, the author Samran Levis described the consequences of curiosity, which I think describe why it is worth pursuing a life of curiosity, why it is worth it to go through all of that trouble. And he writes that, first, by being curious, we open ourselves to the potential value of the things that would otherwise pass us by. And he says that, This is the realm of beauty. Second, we become more aware of the potential value of the things we already have and we feel gratitude and contentment. And third, we can respond to the challenges we face with greater flexibility, less stuck in our habitual ways of seeing the world. And together, these three consequences of curiosity are an inner resource we can draw up upon to explore and commit to what really matters. So, in short, when you live a life of curiosity, you are aware of the beauty of the world, you are grateful and are content with what you have, and also you develop a better way to face hardships and challenges, and you are more flexible and less stuck to your habitual ways so i think these three abilities that living a life of curiosity gives us are absolutely priceless and personally i also think that curiosity helps us fight the effect of the hedonic adaptations uh, which you might have heard of. And uh, the hedonic adaptations or also I think it is called hedonic treadmill. So this is a tendency of ours to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events or changes. So I think the hedonic adaptations effect is a result of evolution, probably. I think it's our brain telling us that we don't have enough. But with curiosity, I think we can combat this effect because when we stay curious and we are grateful, we can ask the question, wait, but why you are telling me that I don't have enough? I do have enough and I am enough and when you are a curious person you are not a conformist so when the world is telling you that you are not enough which is a very common I mean the world of advertisement is based on the opinion that you are not enough but when you live the life of curiosity you are able to say no I do not agree with that and this is not the way I want to live my life so All of it, all of what I was talking about today is why I think curiosity is what makes life worth living and what allows us to seize the day. I don't know if this is what Horace had in mind when he wrote Carpe Diem but when I thought about how I want to make sure that when I die I am happy with my life, I realized that curiosity is a principle that I should base my life on and that asking questions and seeing the world with the eyes of a baby who is new here or with the eyes of a researcher who wants to learn as much as he or she can is something that I should implement to my own life and I hope that you can too and I hope that this episode and what I've talked about was relatable and that you have found an answer to one or maybe more of your problems and that you might implement these guidelines that I talked about today. And before we and let's move on to the inside of this week's segment, where I talk about something that I experienced or realized or read about in the last week that I just found really interesting. And to help you understand what I'm going to talk about today, um, you need a bit of context. So like I said, um, it was my birthday week and I had uh, made a party and it was very nice. I invited some people And I was looking forward to seeing those people and I had a good time, I had a very good time. But I realized that actually my expectations of how I would feel were higher than what I actually experienced. It was a lot of fun, like I said, but it wasn't more fun than what I would experience by waking up early and having a good run or reading with a cup of tea and immediately my thought was well maybe I am an introvert because I always thought I am somewhere in between and I always thought that being those labels aren't useful because they are limiting and it's not useful to identify as one or the other. But then I thought if I were an introvert it wouldn't mean that I don't like people Or that I don't like spending time with people. Because it's quite the contrary. I love spending time with my friends and family. And I probably wouldn't be able to maintain my mental health and sanity without them. But it would just mean that I need to take some time away in order to recharge my batteries. And it means that spending time by myself... Reading a book or walking or (laughs) swimming is as much fun as being at a party. And it actually means that I am usually happier because both of these scenarios are fun. And maybe sometimes it is even more fun to spend some time by myself. But it actually makes me a happier person because if you think about it, most of the time that you spend, you are alone you are working or sleeping or eating and if you are a lucky person and these days in covid times you are able to spend time with your family but most of us are alone most of the day and if i were an introvert it will mean that i value spending time with one or two or three friends rather than in a big group of people I mean, I have to admit, I am uncomfortable in very crowded places and it's only because I cannot focus. It There's just too much stimuli there and I like being able to focus and notice little things and it doesn't mean that I feel endangered or I don't like people. I like people. However, when I'm in very crowded places, I am just not able to properly function. And then when I thought about all of these things, all of these criteria of what I would identify myself as, I realized that those are kind of qualities of an introvert, but mostly those are the qualities of what psychology calls HSPs, which are highly sensitive people. And I when I thought about if I am a highly sensitive person, which is another label which I'm trying to avoid, but I just think that those are a bit useful. So other qualities of a highly sensitive person are that you absolutely hate violence and cruelty of any kind, which is something that I really, really can identify with because, you know, I am vegan and I'm an environmentalist because I hate cruelty and I hate suffering with myself and others. You know, this podcast and my probably my need to improve and be better is a result of the fact that i don't like suffering and i don't like to suffer myself and um, the other quality is that you are frequently emotionally exhausted and this is something that i actually cannot identify myself with i don't think i am emotionally exhausted i mean when i see sad movies or horrors or when i'm in a place or in a hospital yeah i feel exhausted because i feel the feelings of other people so i cannot watch a horror movie because i'm terrified but not because i am terrified of what's going to happen next because i'm terrified for the people that i'm watching for the characters which is stupid and when i'm in a hospital i'm just sad because i see people that are sad so actually okay uh, it turns out that i can actually identify with that and um, the other one is that time pressure really rattles you and i can really also identify with that as i i really really work badly with time pressure i don't think very quickly i think i have very deep thoughts and i have to process what i'm feeling and all of the stimuli which is why when i have tests or exams i can be i can do very poorly even though i studied because of the time pressure um the other quality is that you withdraw often Mm. Actually, I cannot identify with that. You're jumpy. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very jumpy. I think I am excited and I'm energized, but I don't know if I'm jumpy. Uh, you think deeply. Yeah, exactly. I think very deeply, but I feel think very slowly and I don't think fast. And you're a seeker. I mean, this whole episode is about curiosity. So yeah, I am a seeker. Um, sudden loud noises startle you um, well, no, not really. so this is what I'm talking about with these labels. They can help you identify yourself and seek what is going on and what kind of person you are like. so I think it's important to read about and educate yourself, but you don't have to identify with being an extrovert or introvert or hsp i think i have qualities of all of these kind of people however it doesn't mean that it won't change and right now i really hate crowded places and reading a book is as much fun as seeing all of these friends that have visited me on my birthday However, that might change in the future. And when I'm older, I might want to only spend time with my family because there might be my greatest joy and my greatest achievement, which is a great thing. And that might be the case. So my insight of this week was that maybe I am an HSP, maybe I am a introvert, but I want to have my own definition of that. And it is okay to identify yourself with that, but just play by your own rules. So let me know if you also are an HSP or at least that some of these qualities uh, match your person. I would be very interested in that and maybe we could have a conversation about these qualities. Let me know on Instagram or by emailing podcast.beingbetter at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I will speak to you very, very soon. Written, edited and produced by julia spore if you want to learn more visit the website attached in the episode description or visit our instagram page which you can also find in the episode description or you can just search being better podcast If you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one is just to share the podcast with your friends and your family. Tell them why you like it and that they should probably try listening to it as well. You can also share it on your social media platforms. Another way to support us is to write a review, rate and subscribe to the podcast because that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will speak to you very, very soon.